Do you ever wish life had an undo button? Walking the balance between business and the creative life can be hard. But Matt and Shelby are here to attempt to answer the tough questions, so you don't need an undo. Presented by Made by Things, this is the Command Z Show. And welcome back to season probably 10 of the Command Z Show. Uh, it's not season 10. Do we have any idea, Shelby, what season this actually is? I think we kind it's of make this season sh- four. Okay, season four. I think it's the fourth. It four. Maybe it's season three. I don't know. In my experience. I know, it's four. It is four. It's 100% four. In my experience, season four is where things really get good. Right? Yep. Right? So uh, in this season, uh, a couple things are going to be a little bit different here. One, we're trying to get more guests on the show. Uh, two, we're trying to kind of stay a little more truer to our name here. And um, uh, also, my kids are still screaming in the background. That hasn't changed from any of the seasons. Um, but yeah, try and stay more true to the, the name here and talk a little bit more about I don't know, the mistakes, some of the things that we wish we could undo, I suppose. Um, with, uh, with that said, are we, are we ready? Are we ready? We're ready. All right. Uh, we have a guest today. His name is Mac. Mac, introduce yourself uh, as easily as you can here. So excited to be here. My name is Mac Garrison. I'm the co-founder and director of content of Dash. We're a high-end animation and motion design studio built around creativity and community located right in Raleigh, North Carolina. Yes. So much that I'd love to kind of chat about here. Um you know, I guess, you know, before we, we get into the, the real deal here, you guys just did a conference. We did. Like a few weeks ago. The Dash right? Bashed. It was, it was an event to remember. Uh, definitely stressful trying to throw uh, an event. I, I have to admit that I have more appreciation for every planner out there, wedding planner, event planner, mm-hmm. and uh, the humble realization that maybe event planning <laughs> might not be for me. Maybe I'm, I'm more relieved than ever to be in the industry we're in because it is definitely an undertaking, but it is also incredibly rewarding. So I see why folks get into it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Of, of the conferences and events that I've done, that's 100% what it feels like where I'm like, you know, making sure that like we have all the little things and I'm like, this is, I'm, I'm planning a wedding. Like, <laughs> Over and over again. Like, it's crazy. But on my own wedding, I didn't do a whole lot. I mostly stayed out of the way. <laughs> Not because I'm that guy, but because my wife seemed to enjoy it. So I was like, I'm going to back up a little bit. <laughs> well, you just realize all the nuance and the little details that go into something like right. that. So the reason we threw the bash, right. you know, for Dash, when we started back in 2015, this is going to be a buttoned up kind of quick little recap. Uh, you know, I was an animator, my business partner, Corey, live and good, but I was an animator and the two of us really hit it off. We were working at this agency together, but we were missing something, which ultimately was community. We just didn't know that yet. We felt like we were operating in silos. We were working on projects where a lot of the weight and the burden of the creative was falling on us as individuals versus us as teams. And so we loved this industry, but we were feeling burnout. And I'm sure some of your listeners struggle with that from time to time as well too you know this love we have for creative right. but if you're not in a great place it can be problematic so that ultimately led to conversations that eventually took us up to our first motion design conference called f5 up in new york and this was about 2015 right. 
And we went up there and we're just blown away. I mean, it felt like going to like Disney World is everything we could imagine, you know. It was all these famous folks who we just held in such high regard, uh, giving honest and open, transparent conversations. It was meeting the audience members who were just as nerdy and engaged as we were. And so we came back and it was just a breath of fresh air. And honestly, it led us to the conversations that brought us to starting Dash and going off on our own. And over the course of the last eight years, what we realized is as we went to more conferences um, outside of F5, like Style Frames or Blend Fest or Off and the numerous local events that we would check out as well, is the sense of community was so important. And the success of Dash has really been a result of all the people that have supported us. So when we came up with the idea for the bash, it really wasn't a conference idea initially. It was more of a party. Let's throw a big party. We'll call it the bash. And we'll invite all our friends in town to kind of celebrate the fact that at the time that we were coming up on our five-year anniversary, um, you know, but what we realized is that, you know, maybe there's more of an opportunity here than just a party, but maybe we can curate something from all these events that we really appreciate it. Getting some big name speakers who have a lot of experience but also, you know, bringing in the intimacy that we enjoyed from some of these smaller events where you get to really know people and have the moments for conversation. And just also recognizing a real pivot in our industry as a whole and trying to make it more inclusive and more welcoming space. I mean, it's no secret that it's been historically male and white over the years. So how do we bring in new voices right. uh, into the medium? And so even just trying to go off on our own a bit and make Dash Bash a bit unique, how do we curate speakers that maybe haven't always seen the limelight or haven't been on the speaker rotation to get a good uh, variety of folks coming in. And that was really the impetus for it. And, and it really just goes back to, again, the importance for community uh, in our studio and, and bringing everyone together. And not to mention, it's a really humbling thing to grow up in a town, born and raised in Raleigh. I started an animation company in Raleigh. And to see all these people that I hold in such high regard, you know, come to our city, we ended up having just shy of 350 people for the event. So it was it was phenomenal and, and just a really amazing experience. Yeah, I love that. Um, I have a feeling we might get back into this a little bit, <laughs> but let's let's get to kind of our, our main question sure. here. Um, and the question is, uh, during this this journey of yours, um, is there anything that you wish that you could undo? Mm. That's such an interesting question. I think rather than undo, I think I'd rather rephrase it to say learn from, because I don't want to give the impression right. that mistakes are bad, because believe me, we have made a lot of mistakes over the years, but there's been a lot of learning lessons from it. And so for anyone out there who is you know, currently freelance or thinking about starting their own shop or even moving into freelance where you're essentially running your own business, there is just inevitably going to be mistakes. And so... I think every one of those at the time, I felt guilty for making them and wish I could undo it. But with time uh, passing, I look back on it as really big learning opportunities and it shaped a lot of who we are as a studio now from those early uh, misdealings that we had. So maybe we can talk a little bit about things that we can learn from, uh, from, <laughs> from looking back at our past. Yeah, that's, I think it's a really interesting way of looking at it. Um, one of the things that I've, I don't know, maybe this is weird, but like one of the things that I've always thought about is how like reading books and stuff like that, like having an education and things like that's all great. Like there's, there's a lot of great information and in everything that you can read and kind of learn like that. But ultimately it kind of comes down to experiences, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can avoid certain things that you might regret or wish to hit undo on or whatever, 
But ultimately, you kind of have to go through so much of this yourself before you can realize the right way to, to sort of do something. Absolutely. I think one of the biggest misconceptions out there is that everyone knows what they're doing. And it seems that way because we look at lives and studios and freelancers that are catered towards social media, putting out the best work. And it's like, oh my gosh, they've got it figured right. out, right? Um, as we grow as a studio, I sit here and I look at these other studios. They're a little bit bigger than Dash. I'm like, gosh, they got it figured out. So we're all susceptible to that belief. But what I've recognized is I've grown from you know entry-level animator to art director, creative director, to then starting my own shop is that once you pull the curtain back, you realize that we're all just navigating ambiguity. The only reason folks seem to know what they're doing is just because they have a bit more experience in navigating those issues that they've learned from and are applying it now to new decisions that they have to make. And so the reality is, is that we're all just learning and figuring it out, and we're all in different stages of that process. And I think there's a bit of comfort that comes with that, at least there was for me, because I was so critical of myself in the early days of Dash and how we'd approach things. If I mishandled something, I was like, oh, I can't believe I did that. But the reality is, is that, you know, everyone was at that place at some point in time. And as soon as you start to recognize that everyone is just trying their best to figure it out, you can be a little bit less critical of yourself. You know, when you're talking to a client, the client may come across, let's just say it's a tough client, right? So the client comes across, they feel upset about something, you know, they're just struggling because they're not sure how to communicate their emotions and getting what they need. They're struggling with it. They're just want to meet this deliverable and they're trying the best they can. And you're trying to get across your ideas and your vision and you're trying to best your, you can. And when you realize that everyone's just trying to figure it out, it makes it a little bit easier to either handle the feedback or be more compassionate about a change or be a bit more understanding of something that's not going the right way. Cause again, it's all a broader experiment, I think. Right. If you don't mind, let's let's get into some more of the specifics sure. here. Uh, are, are there specific like mistakes that again we we talked about this? You don't necessarily wish to hit undo on, but mistakes that you think that you sort of had to make to be able to get to the place that you are right now. Yeah, maybe a good place to start is really back in the beginning when um, my business partner Corey and I started Dash. This was 2015, and we started, and it was just the two of us. And what's so funny is we were so convinced in the early days that we had to be big in order to win work, right? Like, oh, they're a studio. You know, we got to like, we'd be on client calls and they'd be giving us feedback or questions and things of that nature. You know, and our response, but, oh, we're going to regroup with the team and we'll get back to you. Well, the, the team was Corey and I. Right. <laughs> but we like, we would talk <laughs> like we had producers or all these in-house mm -hmm. creatives, but the reality is we didn't have any of that. But we... Even our messaging and how we talked about ourselves were like, oh, we're doing this. We're doing this, like through the lens of Dash. And what we came to find out later on is that, you know, clients, they're not idiots. They, they knew that it was just the two of us. And the reason they were choosing to work with us was because they wanted that intimate mm -hmm. kind of white glove experience working with a smaller shop that could deliver bigger work. Uh, but we just totally missed that in the early days. And I also look back on that time and... I feel like with the lens of talking about Dash as a bigger entity, even though we were smaller, also came the lens of a little bit of overconfidence as well. I never wanted to feel like I didn't know what I was doing. And what that resulted in was not asking the right questions up front. So I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that if you ask a lot of questions, you don't know what you're doing. 
when the reality is if you ask a lot of questions, you're going to come across way smarter. And I, if I could go back in time, it would really be that. I would encourage my younger self to ask more questions. If someone says a term, you know, let's say SOW, right? That's a statement of work. I remember a client asking if they could give me a statement of work by the end of the day, if I could get them a statement of work by the end of the day. And we like just started the company. I didn't even know what an SOW was. I didn't know what it looked like, you know? Right. And what I should have done is I should have just been honest and been like, what are you looking for? What, what are you hoping it is? And just get them to explain it, you know? And sure, everyone should probably know what an SOW is, but the point of the matter is that there are no dumb questions, you know? Even when we're getting into working with clients on details of a project, what we want to visualize, folks are subject matter experts. They're very close to the subject at hand, and they'll tend to use acronyms. And rather than just saying, you know, nodding your head, and like, oh, yeah, that acronym, ask them what it means. Ask them to explain it. You know, I like to say, explain it to me like I'm five. You know, I'm an animation expert, but I'm not, insert whatever science or terminology or tech it is, you know. So you're really just asking good questions. I feel like that was something that everyone should do a bit more of. I think it's really interesting that you, you bring that up. I, we've, we've done similar things in different locations, almost on the same time period, which is super odd to me. Um, but it's, it's funny. I did this exact same thing where I'm like, yeah, it's we, right. and like, it was, I mean, it's just me at that point. And I'm like, why am I doing this? I, you know, I was even talking about like, I, um, I had a 1-800 number. Mm -hmm. Like in those early oh days, I'm gosh, like, oh, no. shit, like I can buy this <laughs> and like I can have it like introduce me before it like sends it over to my phone. It's so cringy now. I get it. But I did that. And I, it, what was really funny is like I would have to they would bill me by like the second or something sure, like that. Right. It was like a penny a second. So I'm like, oh, hey, this is Matt. Hey, can I call you right back? <laughs> it's like, what's your number? Quick, 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 faster. <laughs> um but I, I did the same thing where it was always like we, um, and it, what's funny now is like, I, I see people doing that still and like, I get it. And I, I certainly, I, I would never be like, Hey, that's dumb. You shouldn't do that. <laughs> but I'm just like, Oh no, like you're doing what I did. And like, I, you're going to realize at some point very soon, like, oh yeah, that doesn't matter. Yeah, it's easy to look um, back on some of these little things and you cringe, thinking that right, it's good right. at the time. But, you know, like you said, going back to the theme of this, learning lessons, you're like, all right, we're just looking ahead now, moving forward away from that. <laughs> right. And that's why, I, you know, it's funny because I always wonder, like, now, I'm like, am I doing something now that, like, in five to ten years from now, I'm going to be like, oh, why'd you do that? That was dumb. Um, But, again, not that I think it's dumb. It's just we kind of have to find our way through a lot of this stuff we have to figure out the things that that don't work uh you know we come up with these hypotheses <laughs> that um we think is going to work it's going to generate us more business it's going to lead us to success i mean we kind of owe it to ourselves to at least try those things if we believe those no matter what age we are or the experience that we have we owe it to ourselves to at least try it you know go forward with it how does it now then compare to what you thought it would be, right? Oh, yeah. Being comfortable with change, I think, is important. I mean, you know, even looking back at, like, our process and how we approach projects, you know, when we started the company, we felt really good about that, at least on the creative side. I mean, Corey and my background was all design-based. You know, neither one of us 
had a ton of experience in just the management, like producing a project, or a ton of experience uh, with the financial side of design. You know, we were privy to some information and had ideas of what to do. But even coming up and defining a process for how to manage the the business side of design was learning lessons. And so you you come up with a process you think works. You work on a couple of projects and you're like, oh, that that was a big miss there. We should have had another you know round of review, or we should have had this deliverable that would have gotten that feedback sooner. I mean, that's probably the most common learning lesson that happens in the early days of starting a studio is that, you know, for us, we really thought of ourselves as a generalist group. We love variety. We love to make 2D, 3D, mixed media, you know, the whole kit and caboodle. And sometimes certain processes work well for one stylistic approach, but falls apart for others. And the way you figure that out is you do a project, you find out that there's a friction point that wasn't clear or there's ambiguity and you know there's a problem and then you fix it but then you look back on that project like all right if we ever do something similar to that again we're going to make sure to institute this new phase into that process and i think those are some of the biggest learning lessons particularly for creatives who are running their own shop or freelancers is just trying to tweak and manipulate your process not being not having it so set in stone that you miss opportunities to introduce something new that could make the process a bit smoother right you brought up two things. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we don't have to dive into this too far if you don't want to, but you brought up like mistakes when it comes to um, producing projects um, and mistakes on the financial side, I believe. That's mm-hmm. what you said. Any, any specific instances uh, in those things that um, you feel like you made a mistake with at some point? Oh, yes. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, so here's a good one for you. Uh, in the early days, especially when we were first trying to establish ourselves, we we were craving the work, right? We wanted to get our name out there. We wanted the work. And so when opportunities would come up, we were concerned that that might be the only opportunity. And it's, it's foolish to think that now because we know how our industry works and there's always new opportunities around the corner. But at the time, we just did not know uh, what was around the bin. And so we really wanted every project that would come up. So one thing we did uh, that I would never advocate for is taking on a project with the promise of more opportunities around. I mean, anyone who's been in this industry a while understands that that's a huge fallacy. But when you're young, you just don't know. I would have these conversations. Hey, if you discount this project or give us, you know, do it for this amount, you know, we'll have all these videos to come. And that's never true. I mean, maybe it happens every now and then, but it's never worth the discount to do that up front. So that's one big piece that I wouldn't do again. Another thing is to sacrifice our process to meet a budget. And so what I mean by that is like, you know, if you're creating a statement of work, you're typically outlining all different steps and processes and costs that go into it. And sometimes you'll run to clients who are like, hey, hmm, I don't think we really need two rounds of storyboards. Or do we really need this animatic? And when you're a bit junior, it's easy to be like, oh my gosh, I really want this project. Okay, we'll take out that phase, right? And, and I, I was guilty of that in the early days. And what ends up happening is you're sacrificing the quality that you know you can bring to the table and why they would work with you in the first place. And inevitably, pain points arrive. What you should do in those instances right. is not necessarily walk away from the project. I mean, if you really want the project, and it's at a lower price than what you would normally come in for, you know, there's no shame in just making 
elite to take that on. But what I encourage is to give an overall discount on the project itself and not actually remove process pieces. So that way you're saying like, you know what? I really like this project. We really need this process. We're going to give you 15% discount to meet that budgetary constraint that you have. But just so you know, this is what it normally costs. Because then if the conversation ever comes up with a client again, with the latter example, you can say like, hey, this is actually what it normally costs. So we can't give you the discount now. But if you do it in the first example where you just remove stuff, the client's like, well, why is this, you know, X amount more expensive? And then there's, you kind of dug yourself in this hole that's a little bit harder to like claw out of. So I think that was another piece that kind of came into it is we would sacrifice process to say yes to projects. (laughs) Right. That's, that's definitely, it's a really good point there. Uh, We, I've definitely run into that same thing before where it's like, um, yeah, to, to meet a certain budget, you sacrifice process and then you end up doing work that's not your best work mm-hmm. and the client realizes that mm-hmm. uh, everyone knows it and it's just kind of it can get weird for sure where it's like you know what are you going to say like oh well it's because we couldn't do our process like if, if that's the case if you think that you need that to do your best work then you got to say no to that thing altogether or find a way to do your normal process um yeah, I, I think that's a good one. Honestly, even one that, again, I still fall into that little little trap <laughs> more recently than I'd like to admit. But um, I think it's a really good point there. I think another one, too, that's important is to find out what your guiding light is for your studio. Like, what is it that's moving you forward? Because I think it's really easy, especially in the early days, again, going back to this idea of is there more work around the bin? We're not quite established yet. We're really trying to make an impact that you become almost too flexible in what you say yes to. And there's no right or wrong guiding light. That's up to each individual studio owner or freelancer to decide what's appropriate for them. For some, it may be, I want to make as much money as possible. That's a guiding light. It also means you're probably going to get some projects that aren't very exciting to work on. But if your goal is to take on the most work for the most money, that's still a guiding light. The other might be, um, I'm going to work on, you know, projects that, both make me feel good and I can work really intimately with the client, right? So you're looking for relationships where you can have a really tight knit relationship. Other times you're like, maybe I don't even want to do direct to client work. I just want to work through an agency so they can handle a lot of this stuff. I mean, there's different guiding lines and what you can choose from, but where things get messy is when you start blending all those together. So if you're like, we want to be a creative studio, but then you turn around and say yes to every project comes in the door, whether it's demo videos or things like that, all of a sudden it just starts becoming a mess and you're not getting clarity on the type of work that you do as a studio. And so the next thing you know, the mess is what generates more of a mess, and then you kind of have this eclectic group of projects that you're working on. And I think that's really easy, easier when you're a freelancer as well too, because you know we know freelancers who are animators, who are designers, they do a little bit of branding, and really quickly you can kind of have this like ambient direction on what you want to do and i think having a little bit of focus so that you can at least ground yourself in like uh the project and what you want to do nice shelby uh get you involved here (laughs) yeah um no i think that that's really interesting actually because like for me that guiding light is so important to establishing your voice as Mm -hmm. a studio um, and I think that also plays into that process of the flexibility and process and being willing to advocate for the process itself. I think that's a big part of that guiding light, too, because, you know, 
your voice and your process is, you know, key to having a successful studio and it's being able to remain, you know, true to yourself and true to the reason you even wanted to go into the creative business in the first place. You know, it's not forgetting why you entered this, entered this industry. Um, and it's not sacrificing. You know? I have to give a huge shout out to um, studio owner Michaela Vandermost. She runs Newfangled Studios up in uh, Boston. They do amazing work. And they spoke at the Dash Bash and talked about their North Star. So they have this whole North Star guiding light for the studio. And one of the things that was really impactful about Michaela's talk, and we're, we're going to get that published here eventually so folks can be able to watch it, was how much clarity that then provided their studio. When there was ambiguity of whether we should take on a project and being a little unsure, having that so defined on what your North Star is gave them the guiding light to either say yes or no to the project. And it made the choice really easy versus having the ambiguity of like, is this the right fit or not? And I think there's a lot of studios and freelancers that can learn a lot from that like North Star, North Star guidance like you were mentioning, Shelby. And I think for me too, it's like as a producer, I never want my artists to feel burnt out because they're just doing, you know, a million projects that aren't serving anyone because we're just taking everything on. You know, that's that's not the reason anybody gets involved. Oh, 100%. You know, or if you, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, we this is all still a business, right? And we also have to keep the lights on. And I think it just comes with the transparency, openness, and clarity about why you're doing certain things. We're taking this project on because, to Michaela's point, it fits our North Star. Or we're taking this on because... While we had one for the real, we need one for the meal. You know, we got to take this on because it's got to, you know, <laughs> feed uh, feed the team. So I think it's just like being open and honest with everyone involved uh, on why why you're doing certain things. And that just comes back and being a bit grounded and kind of coming up and brainstorming, like, what is your strategy for the studio? What are you, what are you working towards? One one for the real, one for the meal. I did not coin that. I am just reusing it, but it is an industry term. I, I I'm not sure who actually started that, but uh, you know, Michaela brought it up in in their speech, and I just thought it was so good. Yeah, for sure. It's good. <laughs> I I think that's I think that's another good a, a good point. Like that's how, that's how I generally see it. Is that we can't. It's not as simple as just like setting that North star and then everything just falls in place there. Cause yeah, like you said, it, it's also a business. So you, know, you kind of have to, I guess for me anyway, I feel like it, it is just kind of like bouncing around a little bit based on where you're at at that moment. So yeah, sometimes it's like, Oh, you know what? Things have been slow lately. We kind of yeah. just need to take this on. I guess for me, I'm like, it's really important that everyone knows why are we taking this on? Mm-hmm. It's for the meal, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, but, and I don't, yeah, there, there's definitely times where it's like, hey, this project is either not paying anything at all or very little. This one is for the real. So I don't know. I, I like that. I don't know. I guess I always saw that as like a spectrum, but maybe it is just kind of one or the other kind of thing. I think that's really interesting. Well, it's, there's also a balance in it, too. I mean, one of the things that we've been really cognizant on, and we could talk a little bit about it, too, is just some operational changes that have happened at our studio as a result of some internal conversations and some stress that we had. We made a big shift to trying to be a bit more organized, which resulted in us keeping tabs on the well-being of our staff with more visual acuteness. So every week, people submit a kind of pulse on how they're feeling for the week. You know, one is terrible, uh, five is amazing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we can keep that pulse and look at an aggregate of everyone's 
um, scores. And if we're seeing that months are kind of down low, we might say, oh, you know what? We need to infuse some excitement, some sort of project we can rally around. And so we'll introduce a creative internal project for the team to work on because it's an indicator that maybe there's too much you know, uh, projects going on that are just kind of feeding the studio. We need to have a little bit more creativity. So we bring that in. And then of course, on the financial side, we look at if there's too much creativity going on, you know, it's like, all right, we need to, we need to take on some work to help the studio. So you're always kind of balancing these levers. And if, if it's way too much creative, <laughs> you know, unfortunately the typical result is that there's not enough good finance coming in for the studio. And then if you have too much finance coming in for the studio, it might mean that there's not as much creativity. So you're always trying to like move these levers to get them kind of balanced out. And I think for us that came with just having a little bit more clarity on, on how our staff is feeling at any point in time. That's clever. I like that way of thinking about it. I really like that transparency. Um, and I know you've brought it up a couple of times. I'd really like to hear more of like, because that's such a common issue I see is, oh, I wasn't transparent at all in the beginning with with my employees, mm. with my artists, mm. and mm. things went awry. Mm. Um, how did you determine exactly how much transparency there should be within the studio? Oh, yeah. For us, it was... Um talking about just big learning lessons that you have, uh, you know, there's a lot of changes in seasons of a company. You know, when you are an individual freelancer, maybe a partner to when you get to maybe like six people and then the next step from like six to 10 and then above 10, there's different things that you navigated all those different points in time. So if we go back to like, you know, 2020, 2021, you know, that had been growing. Uh, we had just kind of crested, I think 10 people. We were like maybe at 10 or 11 and from my perspective and Corey, my business partner's perspective, everything seemed to be great. You know, we had the first Dash Bash that was coming up. We were all really excited about. Um, we had a lot of work. I mean, we had never thrown a conference before, so that was putting a strain on our studio in general, not to mention that we had a ton of work. And so at the time, folks were feeling burned out, but we just didn't quite realize it. We knew we needed to hire some help, and we probably should have done it sooner, but we just hadn't done it at that point. And, you know, at that moment, you know, it just created a lot of conversations. Uh, people kind of voiced their opinion that they were feeling burned out. They were feeling like overstretched. Uh, they felt like maybe the dash bath um, was, was a lot to handle as a studio. And it really created this more like conversation piece with our entire studio about what is, what's the issue. And one of the things that came up was that we were so focused on the creative that our operations were falling a bit through the wayside. So kickoffs weren't buttoned up or we didn't quite have all the assets. Everything kind of felt like it was in a rush because we had so much going on that it did feel right. And so what that really made us reflect on is that we've been so focused on the creative that we were making and building this community that we had kind of missed the step on our own structure and organizations that wasn't ready for scale. Because you can build a studio that's great and has good structure at six to 10 people. But once you get to the top or above 10, it starts to fall apart because it's not just built for that size. So those conversations happened at the end of 2021. So starting in 2022, we did a huge reorganization of things. Uh, we put a lot of emphasis on purpose and intention. We have these umbrella terms that we use for the studio year over year. I'm like, what is our main focus for that year gonna be? Uh, in the past, some of them have been uh, be different so how do we lean into being a generalist studio? The subsequent year, it was community. How do we engage with the community a bit more? In 2022, it was purpose and intention. How do we become more organized? How do we do things with the right intent? 
So we created new org charts. We defined uh, all the roles at the company, uh, the salary ranges. We opened that up for everyone internally to view so that people could see at any point in time what the salary ranges for all the roles we had. We defined what the growth path is for all of our staff. So not only looking at like, hey, do I have to be a manager or what if I want to be an individual contributor? What does the future of Dash start to look like? I mean, these are all internal things we have. We don't publicize it, but everyone at the company can see kind of what their opportunity is, which is really big. We also instituted a new HR plan, which is this program I'll give a big shout out for. It's called 15-5 for anyone listening. It's definitely worth looking into, but it goes back to the score you get on a weekly basis where you can see how organized did your workload feel this week and how creatively fulfilling was it? Those were two big questions we were asking uh, over and over again so that collectively we can start to monitor, are we in a good place or are we in a bad place? So all these pieces started putting more attention excuse me, not more attention, but equal attention that we were putting on the creative now started to happen towards the staff and their well-being. We instituted mental health days. So we tried this idea, and there's a great blog that we have up on our website um, for anyone interested in, in looking at it that talks about our goal to work to a four-day work week. We had heard that conversation before, but when any creative studios try to make it happen, because in the service industry, as we all know, tight deadlines and clients are you know wanting to see stuff at certain times. So we're like, how on earth could we do it? So it was a staggered approach where we start off the first quarter with doing one day a month. Second quarter was two, and our goal was to do three in the third quarter and four days off in the fourth quarter. And at the end of that year, 2022, we would assess it and make decisions on what we want to do for 2023. And so what we found out, um, spoiler on the article, is that we were never quite able to get to the four-day work week, but we were able to get to a two-day, uh, two days off a month for mental health days, and that's what we're doing this year. So we get two days a month. Every month, we shut down the company and give everyone a mental health day. I enjoy it just as much as the staff does. You know, it gives you me time to go get things done. Uh, but if you're curious more on the details, definitely encourage you to check out the article. But the whole idea of this purpose and intent was that we started to put this focus internally to get our structures in order to be able to handle scale. And as we've grown and gotten bigger, you know, at 15 people in size now, uh, that's really helped us, you know, be able to grow without losing the fidelity of the creative work, but also maintain the structure and the organization I think is so important to make people feel like they're supported. I know that was a lot to unpack there, so I don't, hopefully that answered your question. Oh. <laughs> that's really good stuff. It, I mean, I can definitely see what you're saying. Like, so much of this stuff is about iterating. It's so maybe there there are undos, but there's no like big undos. It's really like small things of like, oh, that's not the right path. Let's go down this one. Um, but the only way to know those things is to, to kind of go in head first and try it and see what works. Because also, what works for you might not work for mm -hmm. another studio or a person starting the studio and i think that's that's also really interesting too is you have to kind of find your own way and again i was talking about like reading books and stuff like that before when you read books you often think that like this is the mm -hmm. way there is only mm -hmm. one way to do this thing and I, I think that's another thing that comes with experience is you start to realize like well one i did exactly what the book said and <laughs> uh it didn't mm -hmm. work like what's going on you know or you discover a new way altogether that you're like wow like this this is something i've never heard before and i'm i'm making this thing work like that's incredible animation is actually like, a really just... great metaphor for building all this stuff you know mm -hmm. because you talk about there's no right way i mean one of the jokes that Corey and i had in the early days is when i would get an assignment i just like to get moving 
So I would just make stuff. I'd be the guy that has a hundred comps. You know, people are like, what is this messy project? Like comp one, comp two. I hate to call myself out like that. Corey would approach his in a very uh, scripted fashion. It was all buttoned up really neat. We would all, we would end up in the same place, but it's just varying takes on how to get there. And to your point, there's no right take. You have to find the right take for your studio. But what is important, and I think is a critical aspect for all leaders who will be successful, is to be open to change. Just because you're in a leadership role doesn't mean that your ideas that you come up with is the steadfast and right way. It's a great way to get going, but you really need to be open for change and be open to feedback and be able to help coordinate that and make decisions based off that. So it's not that you need to come up with all the answers, you just need to be open to hearing the answers and making decisions for your company or freelancer. Yeah, I think that's an amazing note to end on right there. But before we let mm. you go, let's see here. I have one question for you. Uh, this is going to be weird. Maybe you can't answer it. But on average, how many times a day do you think you hit undo on your keyboard? Mm. How many times a day? Man. I feel like this is like a better question for like one of our creatives who are like actively working on the projects because there's a lot of undos. But um, I even even in writing stuff, you sure you hit undo a lot. Oh right? yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Oh, 100 percent. I mean, one thing I do for sure is you know I write emails without addressing it to anyone. That's another learning lesson to throw in there. Don't put anyone <laughs> in the subject line when you're writing an email. Uh, so I write tons of emails on a regular basis. I didn't realize that I started an animation company. The next thing I do, I'm just writing emails all the time. But, um, but yeah, that is a spot where I'll write and redo things all the time. Um, and I think like, I like the undo metaphor because, you know, it's this idea, something that changed, uh, in my perspective over the years, especially recently, as we've gotten a little bit bigger as a studio is the sense of everything that you have to put out there has to be perfect, Right. You know, you're creative, you want to make something great, you have to add, you hold so such so close to your heart, you, you don't want to put it out there until it's perfect. And what I've recognized is that as you your studio starts to grow, you start to get into a size where like you just can't have that mentality. You just have to make it go live. You just have to put it out there. And I mean this in like the best way possible and not sounding negative at all, but it doesn't matter. Like that's all that's almost as helpful as anything else. Like it doesn't matter, just put it out there. You know, just put it live, get it out there, get feedback. Don't hold these things in such high regard that you don't share it. Just put out the work. Maybe it's not perfect. Who cares? Let's share it. Are you working on the website? It's not quite done yet. That's all right. Put it out there. You've been working on that reel for the last four months. That's all right. It's good. Just put it out there, right? And just getting it out there and iterating and building off it, I think just keeps us moving forward. So don't be afraid to hit undo, but also don't be afraid to hit redo and just put it out there and just move forward. <laughs> So, so like five times a day. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Five times a day. Five times a day sounds good. No, that, that, that was a great response. I think it's again. I think it's a really great reminder for for a lot of this stuff. Um, Mac, where can people find out um, more info on you and the? Yeah, studio? absolutely. I uh, encourage everyone to give us a follow on Instagram for posting all the cool stuff that we're working on. So that's going to be at dash d a s h underscore n c. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter as long as that lasts or X, whatever it is now which is uh, Dash underscore <laughs> right. studio. And then, you know, if you're curious to learn more about Dash and the Dash Bath, you can find all that information on our website at www.dashstudio.net. And uh, yeah, give us a shout, reach out and say, hey, love to meet more wonderful people in this community. 
Awesome. Sounds good. Uh, Shelby, any, any final thoughts from you? Oh, I think that, that summed it up. I want to leave it on that note. Right. That was a good note. So. Good. Awesome. All right. Well, to everyone listening, I uh, appreciate it. And as always, love you guys. The Comanzi Show is created by Made by Things. And if you have a question you would like us to discuss, you can send a message at cmdz.show. And if you like what you hear, leave a review. We'll see you next week with a brand new show.